Well, again, welcome everyone. Glad you're here uh, for worship. If you're new to fullness, uh, we're really glad that you're here and pray that God has blessed you this morning as we've sung songs of praise and worship. Well, generally, uh, our format is this. We come together, we sing songs, we, we exalt the Lord uh, together, praise Him, try and hear from Him. Uh, we pray for one another, a ministry time, uh, because we want to encourage one another, and we all have needs that we want. For, and we study the Word of God together. Uh, we look at God's Word to see uh, what truth God is, has communicated throughout the ages, but at the same time is communicating to us today. And during this time of Advent, we are particularly focused on, as you can imagine, the, what we call the Christmas message. Uh, my degrees, as many of you know, are in music and I find it fascinating that in all the years I've preached, uh, I've never done what, uh, a sermon series on what is called the Songs of Christmas. In Luke 1 and 2, you have a, uh, certain characters that you're well aware of, like Zechariah and Mary and uh, the angels and uh, eventually Simeon, who after God speaks to them or God speaking through them, they, they, they have a poetic so to speak, exclamation about God. And traditionally, these poetic verses are called the songs of Christmas. Now, um, I, I want to acknowledge that it never says in the Bible they sang. Uh, it doesn't say Mary sang or the angel. You may not believe this. It doesn't even say the angels sang. Uh, many of you feel like um, surely the angels sang. Well, it doesn't say that, but I like to think they did. Uh, ex it says they said, but they're in a poetic form that is hymn-like and therefore considered song-like. And we're doing a series on the songs of Christmas, the four major songs of Christmas. And then I'm adding a fifth one on Christmas Eve about what Christ sang, I believe, when he was born from the book of Hebrews. So come Christmas Eve, uh, that's at five o'clock on Christmas Eve. Funny how we do that. Um, here are the four songs of Christmas that we're looking at. The first is the song of Mary, which is known as the Magnificat. And again, the second word, the Magnificat, it is, it, we get the names of the songs because they are the first word in the Latin text. Uh, when Jerome translated the Bible into the, from Greek or Hebrew into the uh, Latin, these songs, the first word of each of these songs became the name of that particular song because Latin was the text that was used for hundreds of years. So the Song of Mary is known as the Magnificat, the Song of Zechariah, the Benedictus, the Song of the Angels, Gloria, and the Song of Simeon, the Nunc Dimittis. And we looked at Zechariah's song last week. I'm not going to review all of it, but remember Zechariah and Elizabeth were old in age. And they get a word they're going to have a son. Zechariah is more than just questioning. He's disbelieving. Um, have you ever had a dream where the dream was so real you woke up and you were mad at someone because of the dream you had? Or, or, or have you ever had... Here's what's worse. Have you ever had someone dream about you and then they're mad at you because of the dream they had? And it's indefensible. You, you have no defense to, to against their dream about you, but they're mad at you nonetheless. Unfortunately, I've had this on several occasions. And I've done plenty of things for people to be mad at me about, but getting dreamed about was not one of them. That's the way it was for Zechariah. I think he'd had this dream 
about having a son, but now he's in his 60s, 70s, 80s. His wife is well in age, and yet an angel comes and says, you're going to have a son. He's going to be the forerunner of the Messiah. And he doubts, and as a result, he gets a sign that he won't be able to speak again until the son is born. Many people believe that he also couldn't hear. It doesn't say that, but it traditionally kind of holds that, which makes sense. He communicates it with Elizabeth through writing the name of the son. When the son is born and he names the son, he now can speak or sing. And the song we looked at last week, the song of Zechariah, was just incredible. This week we're going to look at Mary's song, the Magnificat. Before I do, let me just give you an illustration about the power of song and the power of music. If you're a country music fan, uh, you've probably heard the name um, Travis Tritt. If you're not a country music fan, just go along with the story anyway. Uh, but Travis Tritt is pretty well known in country uh, circles. And like most country singers, in order to earn his way up, he had to pray, play in a lot of places that weren't what you would consider top-tier stadiums. There were back room bars and dives. And, and so one night he's playing in one of these small places with uh, a mixture of, he said, rednecks and biker guys. And a dispute ro rose up in, between the biker guys and uh, the rednecks. And um, he said it, it was quickly getting out of hand and it was going to turn into a full-scale brawl. He didn't know what to do. He's on stage playing his songs, and he can see this riot is about to happen. And so he stopped what he was doing, and he started playing and singing Silent Night. He said, now, it was in like June or July, but he just knew, he didn't know what else to do. So something came on him, and he just started playing Silent Night. And as soon as he did, it was like all the tension left the room. He said, these biker guys and rednecks just stopped what they were doing and started singing Silent Night with him. Some of them started crying. Um, it just took, and he said, from there on out, anytime anything went wrong in a concert, I just started playing Silent Night. It's the power of music, the power of memory, the power of connection that songs have with us. You know, you can be a certain place and you can hear a song you haven't heard. I can hear a song I haven't heard for 30 or 40 years. And suddenly the, the emotion of the moment overwhelms me from what either happened that was either tough or joyful or it just stirs something up. It's the way God has created us. Remarkably, the song we're going to look at today didn't have that same peaceful... It, when we read it, you're going to look at it and say, what is so crazy about this song? But over the last 2,000 years, listen to what some different people have said about this particular song. E. Stanley Jones, a well-known author on Unshakable Kingdom, uh, talks about, he's a famous Methodist preacher. He called this particular Christmas carol that I'm going to speak of this morning, the Magnificat, the most revolutionary document in the history of the world. William Temple, the Archbishop of Canterbury, instructed missionaries to poverty-stricken India never to read the words of this Christmas song publicly because it could cause a riot in the streets. One modern writer said, when you read the lyrics of this carol, you will, he said, sniff the powder of dynamite. 
when we read Mary's song, we don't, many of us, we don't get that same. Sometimes we read something so often or look at it so often that it loses its impact on us. This morning, I want to lead into the song, read the song, and then give you a couple of points uh, looking at it that I think will hopefully for us as we, because this is the way Christmas is. I know I'm tar- not talking in complete sentences, but just hang with me. Um, sometimes Christmas is like this. We've done it every year since we've ever been born. We know these stories. We know the accounts. And so for us, it loses, if we're not careful, the truth that God became flesh and made his dwelling among us the impact of that in our lives. And so let's look at this afresh today. See if you can, through the power of the Holy Spirit, open your heart and mind to to receive um, this story uh, again. Mary in Luke 1.26 is living in Nazareth. She's a young girl. We don't know how old. Tradition holds 13, 14, 15, 16. I mean, young. And she is a virgin. She's engaged to be married to this guy named Joseph, who's a carpenter. And suddenly, suddenly an angel appears to her and says, Greetings, you who are highly favored, the Lord is with you. Now, her response cracks me up every time. I mean, really. It says, it says she was greatly troubled by his words because she didn't know what kind of greeting this might be. It doesn't say... This young teenage girl was like shocked out of her shoes because an angel appeared to her. She's thinking about the word. She's troubled by, I wonder what kind of greeting this is. Maybe you don't find it near as funny as I do, but I, it, for some reason, it, uh, the angel says to her, do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will be with child and give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. Her next question, again, shows, I think, both her age and her circumstance. I mean, the angel has just given her this truth that she's going to become pregnant and going to have a son, and that son's going to be the Messiah. He's going to rule over the kingdom his father's kingdom, uh, David's kingdom. And she doesn't, notice that she doesn't say, wow, theologically, how does this happen? The sovereign God, my son, how how is he going to rule? I'm I'm not, she doesn't go for the deeper level question. She just asks a straight out question. I'm not, how's this going to happen? Because I'm I'm a virgin, I've never slept with a man. She goes straight for the biology of the question. Uh, how's this going to... No, some people have criticized basically saying, well, Zechariah, he got struck mute um, because he asked a question. How come Mary didn't get struck mute? Mary's question was not one of doubt, but of how. What am I supposed to do? How is this going to happen to me? Zechariah's was more like, I don't think so. You know, we're both old. This is not going to happen. The angel then responds by telling her that the Holy Spirit is going to come upon her and that her son will be called the Son of God. Notice that she doesn't even question, Holy Spirit, who's the Holy Spirit? 
I mean, the Holy Spirit wasn't given out in large context yet. I mean, this is prior to the day of Pentecost and the pouring out of the Holy Spirit and all that happens. But he tells her some more instructions, and he says to her, for your cousin Elizabeth, who is old, is now a child. And so this is probably the first, by the way, Mary is hearing about Elizabeth's pregnancy. We don't know that for sure, but the distance between Judea, the hill country of Judea and Nazareth, is some 80, 90 miles. Word has probably not gotten to her yet that Elizabeth is expecting. So to her, this is like another miracle. My old cousin is pregnant as well. And then the angel goes on and says to her in verse 37, for no word from God will ever fail. Hello? For no word from God will ever fail. And she responds by saying, I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. Now, there's a dynamic in these two verses that when I first studied these like 25, 30 years ago, they really altered the way I looked at the Word of God and the way I received the Word of God. And this is not the sermon today, but it is key to the sermon. It's key to what happens because the angel gives her the Word of God and, she, and, and then says, look, all of this can happen because no word from God will ever fail. And basically he's saying, for no word from God is without power. No word from God is without power. Now, the power is there in the word. What has to take place for the power to be released? Hello? I mean, you could think about it, but Mary says, be it unto me according to your word. In other words, the word has been spoken. The word of God is there, and it's powerful, and the God wants to release it in Mary's life. And she, at that point, has to say, be it unto me according to your word. Now, I, again, this is in my own head. I don't know when exactly Mary gets pregnant, at what point. But I, I choose to believe at this point, it's when she says, be it unto me according to your word. At this point, the Holy Spirit comes upon her and she conceives and has becomes pregnant. Now, it could have come later. It, did, it had to happen pretty quick after this because you're going to see she hurriedly gets up. It's almost like she doesn't even wait. She gets up and leaves and goes to see her cousin Elizabeth. So it happens somewhere quickly, and you'll see when she gets to Elizabeth, she is pregnant. Here's the point for you before we move on. God's word is being proclaimed. God's word is being spoken to you. God's word has been spoken to you through the the Word of God, the Bible, and the person of Jesus Christ, the Word made flesh, and is being revealed to you by the Holy Spirit, our position is, are, am I going to walk in what his word, his word says? I believe there's a choice we are faced with. And I, you're going to see, I, by what I preach, I believe in the sovereignty of God. I believe in God's powerful rule and reign in this earth. But in God's sovereignty, He has chosen to work through you and me. Could Mary have rejected the word? I said, no, go look for another handmaiden of the Lord. It doesn't say, but it seems as if, if you look at the New Testament, God chooses not to force people.
As followers of Jesus Christ, I think we're faced with this all the time. Am I going to follow God's word? Am, am, am I going to hear from God and do what he says to me? Am I going to listen to him and, and step out in faith and then accomplish? Because Mary had a myriad of reasons why she wouldn't follow after God. I'm young. I've never been with a man. I'm engaged. Uh, un, you know, unmarried pregnancy is not going to look good on my resume. You know, I, I mean, I got a lot of things. I got a future here, angel. You're going to wreck it if you get me pregnant kind of thing. Listen, you're faced with the same kind of things all the time where God may say, hey, step out and do this. Uh, wow, I'm not really equipped. I really can't do this. Or God says, give this away. Oh, if I give that away, then I'm not going to have enough for this. Or I'm not going to be able to, you know, you don't know my 401k. Things are not looking good this last week. You know, things have gone down. The stock market's really unstable. If I give God, what's going to happen? Listen, at some point, we have to receive the truth that no word from God is without power. Power to accomplish, power to fulfill. And it's at the point where we say, be it unto me according to your word. That we step out in faith that I think the power of God then is released in our lives to do what he is asking of us in the future. That, that alone is worth coming to church for this morning because some of us need to have the word of God released in our lives. I'm not even to the sermon yet, but it's going good, don't you think? I'm a little tired, so you've got to prop me up a little bit. I'll tell you why in just a minute, but it's my own doing. It's my own sin. Um, it's not a sin. Please, don't. don't. It was just a late night. <laughs> Mary hops up. The other thing when I uh, get tired is I just wander around at times, so just hang in there. <laughs> Mary hops up. She heads off to Judea, the hill country of Judea. Now I was with Rob and Shannon couple of weeks ago in Israel. I won't show you more pictures this week. Uh, I'll show you more in the days ahead. But, you know, every, when, when I was there, the drive, the drive from the Galilee, Nazareth area to Jerusalem and that area, it was a haul. I mean, it's only like 80, 90 miles, but it's a haul and it's all uphill. I mean, there are a couple of little dips down, but I mean, you're really going up. My ears are popping, kind of going uphill to Jerusalem, in that area. To think that Mary hops up and goes to Elizabeth's, many of us think, oh, it, it, it was like me uh, driving to church this morning, a little two-mile jaunt, I was there in five minutes, boom, I'm at Elizabeth's house. We're talking days, maybe weeks, of this newly expectant mother to get to where Elizabeth is. She gets there, and she walks in the door. Now, we don't we don't know, no one's told Elizabeth, as far as we know, that Mary is both pregnant and she's the one that's going to be carrying the Messiah. When she gets there and she just hears Mary's voice, Elizabeth is filled with the Holy Spirit and in a loud voice, as only an older expectant mom could yell, I think, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. 
Blessed is she who has believed what the Lord has said to her will be accomplished. Well, that's kind of like the final straw here for Mary. First, the angel's words. Now, Elizabeth's affirmation, her cousin. It was, it was all she could contain because God was about to change the course of human history. And God was going to use a young teenage most likely girl, as an instrument of righteousness in his hands. So Mary starts to sing. And in verse 46 and following, here's what she says. My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, All generations will call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is His name. His mercy extends to those who fear Him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with His arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty." He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, even as he said to our fathers. This, again, it is a remarkable song. Mary immediately, this is what's incredible to me, she immediately interprets her situation biblically. In other words, there are at least 15 Old Testament references or allusions in this passage. Now, many of us don't think of Mary as probably a scholar, a biblical scholar, but at some point, either by the power of the Holy Spirit or through her training, she has an understanding, a biblical worldview. And not just a biblical worldview, an understanding of who she is in the context of it. She quotes a lot from Hannah's song, Hannah, uh, the mother of Samuel in 1 Samuel, who couldn't get pregnant and then was. She has a song. A lot of the quotes are from there. The Psalms, other allusions. And and what I want to say is this. At some point, Mary has been off the grid. And we probably don't think of young women as having studied the Word of God and Bible and having things open to them. But at some point, Mary was there. She knew. She knew her Bible. She knew her Old Testament. And she breaks out in this song that brings together these various passages. So let's look at Mary's song, Mary's song together. Its first point is this. Mary sings of God's undeserved grace. We, <coughs> excuse me, we sang of this this morning about God's amazing grace. My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. Look at the myriad of ways she acknowledges the grace of God. She talks about She rejoices in God, my Savior. God, my Savior. Now, who needs a Savior? Someone who needs saving, right? I mean, 
I know that's a silly question. It sounds obvious, but if you, you don't really need a Savior if you can save yourself, right? You just buck up and save yourself. Mary says, we need, I need a Savior. In God, my Savior. Now, let me just hit this very quickly. Only sinners need a Savior. Mary saw her sinful condition. From those of you from different backgrounds that have been taught that Mary had never sinned, I don't believe that's biblical. In other words, Mary saw that she was born into Adam. Mary, Mary needed a Savior just as much as anybody needed a Savior. Reba, Reba Rambo, this old gospel songwriter from a generation ago, wrote this song that cracked me up, just the title cracked me up. Uh, it, it was, it's this, Mary was the first to carry the gospel. You get it? Yeah. Carry the gospel. Uh, Mary was the first to carry the Mary needed the gospel just like everybody needed the gospel. She needed the good news of Jesus Christ, but she recognized, she recognized her estate, so to speak. I need a Savior. Thank you for God's grace. God's grace sends us a Savior. March 14th of this year, Our Lady of Grace Church in Hoboken, New Jersey. That sounds like quite a place, doesn't it? They they received word that the church had received a suspicious package. You know, if you receive a package and there's no return address and it's kind of got handwriting on it and stuff like that, these days you, you, you get suspicious. The police investigated and determined the parcel was safe. The contents of the parcel turned out to be a statue of baby Jesus that was stolen from the church's nativity scene 90 years ago. An anonymous note explained how it had been taken by the person's mother when she was a young girl. Over time, it became a unique family heirloom that was given. Here, take the stolen baby Jesus. Uh, Just pass it on along. That was given to the note writer after his or her mother died. But in the note, there was a need for seeking restitution and wanting to expunge the family's guilty conscience from nearly a century. Guilt doesn't just go away. You You can try and sever it, but at some point, we recognize how is the price for our sin going to be paid for? And we all, we all need a Savior. You're to name him Jesus. Why? For he will save his people from their sins. She also recognizes the grace of God when she says, For he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. She knew that she was just another poor young girl among thousands of poor young girls who were under the oppressive regime of the Romans at the time. In Charles Dickens' Christmas classic, A Christmas Carol, it's, it's really a statement about the poor and the oppressive nature between the English kind of upper crust wealthy and those who didn't have. And in his Novel, the English upper crust see the rest of England as, quote, surplus population. 
surplus, surplus population, rather than seeing people in their, 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 the way God has created them in his image, they, eh, they're just extras. We can use them as we want. Mary, Mary would have been among this group. She was just surplus population to the Romans and even the Jewish leaders of her time. And so she recognizes that it's the grace of God that's, that's seen her in her humble state. And then she goes on and says, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. Hey, by the way, this isn't this bragging thing. Hey, everybody's going to call me blessed kind of thing. They're going to call me blessed, but why? From the mighty one has done great things for me. In other words, she's not, she's not saying, look, I'm not. She's saying, I'm nothing. I need a savior. I'm a humble servant. I'm surplus population. But if God does this through me, then blessed is his name. He is a great God and greatly to be praised. This is about his might. And I am humbled by it. And goes on and says, his mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. This is Mary's poetic way of saying, God, you didn't give me what I deserve. Instead, you showed me mercy, withholding what I have coming just, just as you will for all who fear you. For all in the coming days who are like me, who fear you, you'll do the same thing for them. It is a picture of God's mercy, of God's amazing grace being realized in the heart of this young girl. You're going to receive a bunch of gifts. Well, maybe not a bunch, maybe some gifts this Christmas. But Mary's recognition that God's gift was delivered in person, the person of Jesus Christ, and God's gift is personal for each one, is a remarkable truth in this song she carries. I mean, even if the song ended right here, it, it is, as I said earlier, it is dynamite. I mean, it is powerful to think about. Why? Why is this such a big deal, even up until this point? You know, in the, Mary's, Mary's song proclaims a gospel, a good news, a theological truth that was not recognized in Judaism. In other words, in Judaism, how did you get right in God's sight? You obeyed the law. You basically, God was saving you from a distance, and to get that distance closed, you had to keep the law. You had to, you had to do it. You had to be right. You had to be righteous. And Mary is proclaiming a gospel that says, it's not me moving to God, it's God moving to me. It is a remarkable transition from an old way of thinking into a new, incredible gospel, which is good news. She goes on to sing of God's rescuing power. It's not just that his grace, his grace is given to me, but it's also that when I say yes to God, his hand grabs hold of me and yanks me out. He has the ability to rescue me. Look what she says, continuing on in verses 51 through 55. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. Can you... 
as I stop here, can you see why in reading this that um, the Archbishop of Canterbury said, don't read this in the poor parts? He's tearing down the rulers. He's exalting the humble. Goes on and says, he's filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, even as he said to our father. Just look at these passages real quick. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm, and he has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. I mean, here's the idea. He will rescue the helpless. Mary is just a young girl. She's not a Fox News political analyst, or if that offends you, she's not a CNN political analyst. She's not a political analyst at all. She's standing in the living room of an older cousin who just got pregnant in her old age. She's just gotten word that she's going to be the mother of the Messiah. Now she's pregnant. She's never had sex with a man. This whole thing is well beyond her. But she, she recognizes that her boy, child, will be raised up to bring down even the very thrones of power. That of his kingdom, there will be no end. I remember when my boys were little. None of them are little anymore. But when they were little, they'd want to wrestle or arm wrestle. I, even my girls wanted to wrestle. They just, you know, when you're three, two girls follow three boys, they just, you know... There's no, it's hard to be ladylike in that environment. So, um, but the boys, when they wanted to arm wrestle, their arms were too short. You know, they would get down and their hand would be like here. So they'd have to prop their arms up on books to try and match mine. And, you know, I let them win until they're like three, and then I took them down every time. But, uh, <coughs> yeah. So, um, <laughs> You know, you just got to do what you got to do. And, but that's the picture here. We, we, we're trying to prop up our arm to, to be able to do what we need to do. And Mary's saying God's arm is not too short. It is not too weak. He never had to prop his arm up in order to accomplish what he wants accomplished. She goes on and says, he has brought down rulers from their thrones and has lifted up the humble. He will exalt the humble. Mary's song means we need to reverse our ambitions if we want to exceed in God's world. Now we can succeed in this world by not being humble. Wasn't it remarkable this past week to watch the funeral of George H.W. Bush? That person after person after person talked about his incredible humility. And then the analysts would come on and say, wow, humility. I mean, it's kind of like, yeah, well, that's what they got to say about him. He was humble. But God, God exalts the humble. God lifts up the humble. Jesus said, everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. And the one who humbles himself will be exalted. He's not saying, it might happen. You know, if someone exalts himself, he might at some point get humbled. No, he's saying he will be humbled. And those who walk in humility, God will exalt in his way. Now, I don't know about you, 
I'd rather go with the latter. I'd rather go with, let's, let me walk in humility so that God will exalt me. Not me, but himself, but God will lift me up. And Rather than, I'm going to exalt myself and then I'm going to get humbled. Because you, you know what kind of humility usually comes from that? Humiliation. I mean, it's that kind of tearing down. Be humble. God works through that. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. Now, I don't think she's just talking about food here. I think this is where things get... Jesus said, blessed are the, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. There's a spiritual hunger that I think was lacking at the time that God is saying, I'm going to rescue you from this spiritual poverty and the spiritual starvation that you're undergoing in order that you'll be filled and bring glory to my, to my name. You know, I've heard it said before that the only thing we really have, we have to bring before the Lord is our need, our hunger. That we really don't have anything to give him except to come and say, I'm hungry. Fill me. Again, we live in an age where people are saying, I am filled with this, now you have to accept me as this. Whatever the case may be. I know myself. This is the way God made me. I am like this. Now you receive me like this. And God is saying, look, come without all of that junk and just say, here's what I have. I'm hungry. I am thirsty. I need you. I'm not demanding of you. I'm asking in humility that you would. Do you recognize your need this morning? Or are you satisfied with what you can provide for yourself? Again, people who can provide for themselves, they don't need a savior. Mary is looping back around to say, I'm rejoicing in my Savior, and I had this need that he fulfills. And then her final statement is this. He has helped his servants Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, even as he said to our fathers. She loops around to prophetic fulfillment like Zechariah did, of what God has done for and promised for thousands and thousands of years. When I was young, which is getting further and further away, uh, by the way, when I was young. When I was young, though, uh, I was in Florida and uh, going to elementary school in Florida. We moved around. Um, my dad was a pastor. We moved from Florida to Maryland, Florida. But in elementary school, I was in Florida. And um, soccer was up and coming. And I kept hearing these words that, hey, you know, soccer, it's going to be a big deal in America. Someday. Someday, soccer is going to be a big deal. And over the years, I kept hearing this. Soccer is going to be a big deal. Soccer's gonna... Because the rest of the world, it's the number one sport. You're aware of that? They call it football. But soccer, whatever. We'll just stick with soccer because we're American. Dadgummit. And so, um, so soccer will be a big deal. And it never happened. I mean, soccer never became that big. I mean, I went to different soccer games, different big teams, different stuff. Well, 
Over the past two weeks, the Mercedes-Benz Stadium, the Dome, which holds, I think, 73,000, 70 70-something thousand, has sold out twice. The first one was uh, the SEC championship game last week, which we're in the South. You know, Alabama versus Georgia, sold out. And the second event was last night. There was a major league soccer game in Atlanta. It was the finals. It's kind of like the Super Bowl of soccer and, uh, for North America. And the boys and I went. You know, Jared, Jared is a soccer coach, and we're a soccer family. We love all sports, really, but, you know, we have a soccer feeling. It, here's what people said for a number of years. Yeah, that, the picture on the right is right after we won. Yeah, the picture on the right is right after we won. The Atlanta won two to nothing, by the way. And um, that's the supporter stands. They're holding up cards, which is the emblem of Atlanta United. Not the point. Here's the point. For years, people said soccer will be big in America, but it will never succeed in the South because football. We have football. We don't need soccer. Atlanta is in their second year as a team. They averaged over 50,000 people a game. Last night, sold out the stadium, 75,000 people. Now, I, I'm not preaching soccer. Please don't hear me. I could. I like the sport, but that's not my point. My point is this. For 40 years, maybe 50, um, I've been hearing that soccer was going to be big in America, but it never has been. And now it's starting to be fulfilled. And it was really fun for me and the boys to experience that last night. You know, soccer's a weird sport. You buy scarves. You're in an indoor stadium, but everybody's wearing scarves uh, because that's kind of the emblem of your team is, is by how you wear a scarf. I mean, it, it was fun. They stood for the entire game. 70,000 people stood cheering. It was the loudest sporting event I've ever been to. I mean, it's in a dome, but it was still really, really loud. Again, I do have a point. Imagine Mary. I mean, I was thrilled that this slight prophetic fulfillment was coming to pass, whether it does or not, I don't know. But imagine Mary standing here and, and what was promised to Abraham, Father Abraham, thousands of years ago, has been proclaimed through the prophets, has been written up by kings and is in the Psalms and is through Samuel and Hannah and just on down the line, it's been thousands of years. And now she is standing there as being used by God as the fulfillment of this prophet. Can you imagine the emotions that must have overcome her? So much so that she proclaims, God is fulfilling his promise to Father Abraham through me. She's not exalting herself in any way. She's talking, God is so unbelievable. How can we not worship a God like this? It's evident by this account, by Mary's song, that she loved the Word of God. She obeyed the will of God. She had a deep relationship with God. And she had the right attitude before God. I want to ask us, do we have that same spirit? before Jesus, before God today. God, whatever you want, do it, Lord. Whatever you need, 
for me, take it. Again, I'm not going to rehash this whole sermon, but think about Mary. In order for God, she said, whatever you need. And he goes, okay, I need you. I need your body. I need your future. I need everything about you. You're going to give it. If you give it to me, it's going to change the whole course of your life. Wherever you lead, I'll follow. We were recently in Turkey. Ancient Ephesus was there. And right on the hill next to ancient Ephesus is the home of Mary. Uh, I don't know if you're aware, but according to tradition, John took Mary away out of Israel and took her to ancient Ephesus, which is where she lived according to some traditions, the rest of her day. Some of them traditions, she went back and ascended to heaven like Jesus, but we're not going with that one today. Um, she lived her life in Ephesus. You know, she would have never seen this humble servant of ending up in a foreign land. Here's my prayer. I, my prayer is that our lives will be lived out as, as this response to the word of God. No word from God is without power. Lord, be it unto me according to your word. And when we do, it'll change everything. Everything. There's a famous hymn that we sing at Christmas time. It says, Come thou long expected Jesus, born to set your people free. From our fears and sin release us. Let us find our rest in thee. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you this morning for the word of Mary, this incredible song of grace and of power. And pray this morning, Lord, that you would move in this place. May we say, may each of us say, Lord, be it unto me according to your word. Let your word move in me and through me. Use me, take me for your kingdom's sake. Lord, I, it sounds so good, but I know that many of us are we, we say that, but we don't really mean it because we want control of our own lives. But Lord, I pray this morning that we'll say yes to whatever you ask of us because our Savior is worthy. Because the lamb that was slain is worthy to receive the reward of his suffering. May we say yes to you, Lord. Come, thou long-expected Jesus. Move in our hearts and our lives today. Lord, I pray that as we come to a time now where we give back to you a portion of what you've given to us, that God, this, we wouldn't do this out of duty or obligation, saying, oh, I've got to give again. But instead, Lord, this would be an act of worship where we're saying, like Mary did, take me and use me for your kingdom's sake. May this small amount of money or whatever I give this morning, may it represent all of me. Thank you, Lord. May we worship you through giving. And in giving, we give ourselves to you afresh and anew today. In Jesus' name, amen.